salad and drinking wine and talking quite matter-of-factly about the sale of the body parts of aborted fetuses. And it was an extremely unpleasant video to watch because they were talking very openly and chattily as if what they were doing was very normal. And this isn't going to be a talk about abortion. I'm not, not attempting to address that issue today. But it, 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 it was a very disturbing conversation because in the course of it, it became clear that, the, that for her, the, the things that she was selling were things. They were parts of a person, but she regarded them as merely things that could be negotiated and sold to other people. There was one particular moment where she said, and I'm quoting, so then you're just kind of cognizant where you put your graspers. You try to intentionally go above and below the thorax so that, you know, we've been very good at getting heart, lung, liver, because we know that. So I'm not going to crush that part. I'm basically going to crush below. I'm going to crush above, and I'm going to see if I can get it all intact. And it was a grim video. And other videos that came out at that time also display the same kind of attitude towards a human person. As I say, I'm not talking about abortion this morning. And I'm not telling you that story to shock you. Why I'm telling you it, it, it is because it gives quite a graphic example of what happens if you take something that is spiritual and that represents the divine and you strip it of all its spirituality, you strip it of its transcendence, and you turn it just into just matter. That's what happens. You take a human being, an image bearer of God, and through a process of philosophical and bio biological reflection, you just remove all of the bits of it that are spiritual, and you just make it a lump of matter that you can take into little pieces and distribute for other purposes. When you do that, you see enormous damage and violation done to the image of God that is represented in that person. And I'm wanting to use that as an example of what all of us have done as part of being in this culture with human sexuality. I want to use that as an analogy. What we do is exactly the same thing as that with sexuality. We take something that represents the divine, that has cosmic significance, that is spiritual, that is transcendent, and we remove the spirituality of it and turn it into purely a physical thing. And as a result, we destroy it. We take away what is meaningful about it, and we turn it into, for instance, a, a piece of tissue, a, a piece of matter. And that journey from celebrating and protecting something that bears the image of God into stripping it for parts takes place in a number of little steps. But it begins by taking something spiritual and cos uh, cosmic and turning it into something material and functional. And my argument is that we've done the same as, that, uh, as what that lady did, undercover, you know, filmed undercover with a fetus. We've done the same as that with sexuality. We have taken something really grand 
and spiritual and cosmic, and we've turned it into something material and functional. We've taken sexuality, maleness, femaleness, sex, marriage, and we've turned it into something that's simply about matter. We've stripped it of its transcendence. And we've been left with a a bunch of physical connections that don't mean much more than just the physical interactions that they are. You know, sometimes things can, can mean a lot more uh, than, than the physical thing would otherwise be, right? Like, so, so this is a, a $20 bill. Imagine uh, some of you have, uh, could have one or more in your pocket right now. This piece of paper is worth a fraction of a penny if you were to mash it up and sold it for pulp. It's, it's worth next to nothing. But because it represents something higher than simply the physical thing that it is, because it contains information and meaning that you and I recognize, it's worth thousands of times more than, than what it would be if, if, if you just mashed it up and turned it into pulp. And the reality is a, a lot of things in our world carry significance, not, not because of simply the material stuff that they're made of, but because what the material uh, means when it's assembled in a certain way is transcendent. It's far higher than the sum total of the physical bits and pieces that comprise it. The same is true of a baby. The same is true of you. If someone were to chop you up and sell you off for pieces, it would not be worth as much as you are. In fact, someone has calculated that if you break down a human body uh, into its raw components, it's worth about $160. You're worth about $160. Bucks. So if someone to sell you, off, sell you off your component pieces, listen, they would not be worth as much as you are. And the same is true of sexuality. The same is true of maleness and femaleness, sex, marriage. The thing stands for something far higher. And many people in our culture don't recognize that. And in fact, many of them are discipling you and me to learn, trying to insist upon us. Those things don't mean anything more than that. So this lady, Deborah Nukatola, she reduced a human being to a set of body parts. And what we do is we reduce human sexuality to a set of body functions. We're doing the same thing. We're turning something spiritual into something purely material and nothing more than a physical experience that might or might not be enjoyable. And God sees human sexuality as far higher, greater, deeper, richer, and more beautiful than that. Your maleness, your femaleness, your sexuality, those things are worth more than simply a series of physical exchanges. And I want to show you why that's true. So Genesis chapter 1, let's just walk through it for a moment. And some images are going to come up on the screen to help depict what we are reading. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Sure, they come up. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. 
So God created the heavens and the earth. Then he separated the light from the darkness. And then it, it, you, we read on in day two, he separated the waters above from the waters beneath. That's even harder to rip, represent. So hard, I couldn't figure out how to, how, how to represent it. So uh, we're just going to skip over that one. But uh, day three, he separated the land and the sea. On day four, he separates the sun and the moon. And day five, he separates the fish and birds. And then on day six, as the high point of his creation, he makes human beings. And he makes them male and female. The whole of creation is in pairs like that. So verse 27, God created man, that is humans, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. The image of God is represented by male and female together. A man on his own does not fully represent the glory and image of God. A woman on her own does not fully represent the image and glory of God. But when human beings are both male and female, we have the glory of God and the image of God represented. Now notice three things here. You think, you know, What's he doing putting these images up on the screen? Well, notice three things. First, notice this. God orders the universe by making distinctions between things. When he creates it, it is formless and void. It is a shapeless morass. It is dark. It is unsorted. It's unfulfilled. It's empty. Uh, It's a massive cosmic muddle. There's no distinction, no order, no beauty, no life. And God brings order by separating things. He says, day here, night here. Heavens here, earth here. Male here, female here. Birds, you know, uh, fish, birds, uh, sun, moon. He divides, he separates deliberately to bring order and beauty and life to what he's built. That's the first thing to notice. Second thing to notice All those distinctions take place in complementary pairs, right? There are two of all of them, heaven and earth, day, night, land, sea, sun, moon, male, female. Fish reproduce uh, in male and female pairs. In many ways, you could put uh, uh, birds on on both sides and, and fish on both sides and animals too. Fish produce in male and female pairs. So do birds. So do mammals. So do we. That's the second thing to notice. So God orders the universe by distinguishing things. Second, he, when he distinguishes, there's, they're always in pair. Thirdly, virtually every language in the world recognizes that distinction between male and female and the complementarity, i.e. the pairs complement or fit each other in a certain way. Virtually every language other than English recognizes that by having masculine and feminine nouns. If you've ever learned another language, I imagine most of you have, you'll probably be aware that, that pretty much every language on earth, apart from English, has masculine and feminine form of noun. And, and, and one of the reasons they do that is because they reflect the, re, the reality that creation is formed in complementary pairs. And you'll notice some interesting traits when you do that. You'll notice that in pretty much every language we've ever found, the sun is always he and the moon is always she. 
The day is always he, the night is always she. The rocks are always he, the sea is always she. In other words, God has built uh, complementary pairs, pairs which come together and mean more together than they are separately. Complementary pairs he has built into the very fabric of creation. And human sexuality, maleness and femaleness, reflects that. Human sexuality reflects the complementarity of the whole of creation together. And it's meant to. The fact that there are two sexes, the fact that men and women come together in a certain way is meant to represent and symbolize something bigger that's happening in all of creation. This, male and and female coming together, human sexuality, is about that, about the greater story of what God is doing in all of creation, right? This, this man and woman coming together is all about that, what, what God is doing in, in creation. It, it's about something bigger than itself, just like, just like the, the $20 bill is about something larger than itself. Now, human sexuality doesn't just show that. It does, but it shows more. Human sexuality do, doesn't just show that male and female are distinct. It doesn't just show that heaven and earth are distinct. It shows that heaven and earth are destined one day to be united together. This is what so many people in our world don't get. They can't see it. They don't understand. Heaven, where where God lives, earth, where, where, where we live, destined for union together, that makes no sense. But in Scripture, that's exactly the story. The beginning, uh, we begin with this separation. And what happens is the whole of the story points forward to a day when these two become one. They're made for each other. They all live happily ever after. That's what's going to happen. The biblical story is that God is up there and we are here and God wants to live here with us. And he wants us to be free from sin so that we can dwell with him and experience his presence. And he comes down and he lives amongst us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, distinct and separate. And then throughout the the story of the Bible, heaven and earth overlap in all kinds of ways. First, they overlap in the Garden of Eden. God comes to live amongst people. And people walk around and commune with God. They're with him. They're fellowshipping with him. They're, They're talking with him in the cool of the day. But then they get exiled because they sin. But Eden, understand, is where heaven and earth overlap. They overlap again in the tabernacle, the tent where God lives. They overlap again in the, in, the, in the temple where God lives. They overlap in the body of Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. They overlap again in and through the church. That's why we talk, even this morning, about coming and being in the presence of God. Our claim to the world around us is that the living God has come to live among us. Because we're his people. And because of that, there's an overlap between heaven and earth. And we're, and, and, and we're here in the middle of these two spheres. We're at the point in which heaven and earth meet. We are the temple of God. But the destiny of the world is not simply to have God dipping in to certain parts of it. No, the destiny of creation is that heaven and earth would become so united that they become the same thing. That heaven and earth 
join. God's presence fills everything in every way, and the whole of creation is made one in his presence. Ephesians 1 says that God's plan is to unite all in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Revelation 21 says, I looked and I saw heaven coming down to earth. God's presence now is, I saw, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And we'll come back to that text in a moment. And marriage puts that on display. That's what marriage does. When I say this, male and female coming together is about that. All of creation coming together. I'm saying that the complementarity of pairs is built into creation. And the fact that those things are destined to come together one day. And all of that is symbolized in marriage. Marriage puts that union together on display. Christian marriage points forward to a day when heaven and earth will be joined permanently. Creating union everlasting and life and joy. That's what it's for. And the reason why people make the promises they they do in a marriage is because they are committing forever to honor the other one and to be bound up with them in union, just as heaven and earth will one day be joined together forever. And Christian marriage points forward to that day when heaven and earth will be one for all time and all of creation will join in the greatest wedding celebration that there's ever been. That's why the new creation is pictured like a wedding. It's the union of two to become one permanently. And Christian singleness also points forward to that day. Because Christian singleness marks out and says, do you know what? I am waiting. One day there will be no marriage. One day there will be no sex. One day there will be no childbirth. But there will instead be a transcendent experience of joy and community and glory that far outweighs all of those things. I've often talked with people who find that hard to understand. They think, how, how could the world be fully glorious if there, if there wasn't sexuality in it? Well, think about it. Imagine very young kids. They would struggle to imagine, that a, 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 they would struggle to imagine a world that was fully glorious without Paw Patrol and Coco Melon. They really would. They wouldn't be able to understand that there is something better than chicken nuggets in their lives. And as a result, as an adult, you and I look and we say, well, of course, in your world, that's the highest joy. But believe me, there is a far higher joy to come when you grow into adulthood. And the same is true of the new creation. We are currently, if you like, children. We think, oh, the biggest deal there might be is the sort of sexuality thing. But, but what we will experience that day is such a relativizing, a Paw Patrol moment when we suddenly see, wow, there is something far, far bigger than I realized in human sexuality. There is something better than that. This, man and woman coming together, is about that. It's about the day of the coming together of heaven and earth. So human sexuality has always pointed to something else. It represents something bigger than itself. It's a shadow 
there's a, there's a shadow behind it that, 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 that it points to. This, this human sexuality is about that, about the union of heaven and earth forever. When you see the one, you're supposed to see the other behind it. When you see human sexuality being rightly expressed, you are supposed to see in it the, the complementarity of heaven and earth and their future union together forever. That's what you're meant to notice. Now, pretty much every civilization in history has actually recognized that male and female are complementary. It's obvious from our language, he, she, man, woman, male, female, husband, wife. It's obvious from our physical bodies. I'm not going to get into any graphic detail here, but male and female bodies fit sexually in a way that male and male and female and female bodies do not. I mean the techies, the, the technical people around here. Probably most of the things up here on this platform are plugged in with cables which are properly labeled male to female or female to male because they are corresponding. Just ask the techies. They know, yes, male and female fit in a particular way that male and male and female and female do not. It's obvious. It's obvious from the bodies we have. It's obvious from childbirth. You can't make... Even now, in, a, in this day and age, you cannot make a human being, even with all of our technology and, and genetic advances, you cannot make a person without both male and female elements. Even if you try and remove male and female from the reproductive process and do it another way, you still can't do it without male and female elements. It's obvious male and female are complementary. It's, it's obvious that what they are is to point towards something beyond themselves. So how on earth did we get to a point where people could talk about marriage as if it could be between two people of the same sex with no biological possibility of having children together? How, how did that occur? In the context of a world where everybody knows, biologically, physically, linguistically, theologically, that that's not a thing, that, that there is something unique about the coming together of a male and female. How did we get to the point where we could talk about marriage of people of the same sex? In the last 20 years, how did that happen? When I entered ministry, that, that wasn't a question. It is now. I'm struck by the, the writer Naomi Wolf, who once asked, she was talking to a young man, probably in his late teens, early 20s, and she said, what about the mystery of sex? And he, this guy looked at her blankly and just said, mystery? I don't know what you're talking about. Sex has no mystery. And she said, that's it. That's the problem. That's the problem with the way this world is thinking. Sex has no mystery. It's purely physical. That's all it is. A human being is nothing but a series of body parts. Human sexuality is nothing but a series of body functions. Deal with it. There's no mystery here. To hear that, you think, oh, you've missed so much of what, is what this is supposed to be doing. You have missed its significance. You have missed why it matters. How did that happen? How did we get here? 
Well, if you listen to some people, you'd think it's the work of a sinister group. Oh, it's a sinister group of gay lobbyists who snuck into the media and academia and convinced everybody and wrote devious sitcoms and magazine articles and did clever things and finally convinced us all in spite of ourselves. Well, I don't think that's what happened at all. I think what happened is that sexuality gradually became despiritualized, materialized. It got the transcendence. All of its significance got taken out. Gradually got smaller, basically. Usually through the influence of ordinary, straight, married people. We just gradually stopped thinking about sexuality as having anything to do with the cosmos or with the union in Christ and his church in the 18th century-ish. And then... In about the 1940s, it stopped having very much to do with the community. It stopped being such a a public affair. It was now a private thing just between two people. And then contraception made it possible to think that it had nothing to do with with, with children either, right? It doesn't have anything to do with the cosmos. It It has nothing to do with community. It doesn't have to have anything to do with children if you don't want it to. And as soon as you, and by the way, I'm not anti-contraception. I'm just saying it changes the way that you think about what it is. As soon as you take that step, the purpose of marriage is no longer about anybody else. God, creation, community, children. It's not about those things. It's simply about self-fulfillment for the two of you. And that challenges commitment. Why be committed? Because if it's mainly about self-fulfillment for the two of us, then if it's not working, we should change that. And that happened in about the 1960s. Commitment became more and more a question mark over sexuality. And eventually, if you think marriage is simply about friendship and intimacy and sexual enjoyment, then there's no reason to think that it should be limited to people of opposite sexes. Maybe you can, you can have people from the same sex because it's just friendship, intimacy, and enjoyment, right? And people of the same sex can have that too. So why limit it to opposite sex marriages? Why limit it to male and female? You see, just gradually sexuality is becoming smaller. And the generation we're in is saying, no, it's not that. It's, it, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. And it gradually sh- shrinks. And it may even, I suspect, get to the point where it shouldn't even be restricted to couples. Right? Maybe that's going to happen in the next 20 years. Who knows? I mean, people are very quick to say, I don't understand you Christians. Like, why, why don't you think it's okay for two people to love, who love each other to get married? And I immediately want to say, why not three? Why, why two? And I'm not trying to be a smart aleck here. I'm not trying to mock. I just want us to really think about what we're saying. I mean, where are you getting that number? What is it about two? To, to most, it's obvious it has to be two. But my point would be, yeah, but 30 years ago, it's been obvious it, it, it meant a bit more and a bit more and a bit more. And I'm saying that the journey you guys are on is just making sex less and less meaningful. Each of those steps makes sex, sexuality smaller. Why restrict it to two? Why not have five? Why can't I be married to my wife and she's married to her sister and I'm also married to my best friend who's a guy and he's married to his brother? Why can't, why can't we do that? Marriage, if you, if, if, if you keep making it smaller, becomes a mile wide and an inch deep. 
So everyone can play, and everybody can express sexuality in whatever way they want. But in doing that, it has made what sex actually is extremely small and very trivial in comparison to this transcendent, otherworldly, spiritual vision of sexuality that you find in the Scriptures. It's like the difference between reading Shakespeare and reading the comments on YouTube. Have you ever done that? Not, not the most edifying experience, is it? There's a tweet a few years back that, where someone said, I always wanted to, to I, always want, I wish I could see other people's thoughts until I realized it was like reading the, the comments on YouTube. Right? The difference you see, when you're reading Shakespeare, you think this is at a very high level. But not many people can do that. You read the comments on YouTube. Everyone can play. But as a result, it's lost all meaning. And the nature of anything spiritual, transcendent, other, mysterious, is that you have to put fences around it, certain guardrails. You have to guard certain things in order to say, it means this. This, this is about that. And, this, and because this is about that, you can't just mix it up and change it any way you want. It, 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 it means something more than you realize it does. Having said all that, and I'll close in a moment, um, I'm not very worried about all of that, to be honest, as a generation. I, I think generations come and go and wax and wane. And, and some people will get very angry about it. But there is something within all human beings that knows that we are spiritual and not just material. There's something about all of us that... that, 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 that knows that we're not simply the sum of, 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 of my parts. I denote, I represent something more than what I am physically made up of. And I think there's something deep in us that knows that that's probably true uh, of my sexuality and yours as well. It, 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 it's the part of us, if you like, that marvels at a sunset, right? Sunsets happen every day. You, you don't always see them because it's cloudy or whatever. But, you know, sunsets happen basically every day. And there's still something in you and in me that stops what we're doing and looks and stares and marvels and says, do you know what? There is something more to that than simply the fusion of light, of, 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 of light and, and dark. Day, night and day are coming together. Yes, good, good for them. But they, they, it means more than simply the fact that they're coming together. There is something slightly spiritual about that moment that catches me off guard, even though I've seen it a, a million times. It's tapping into something something spiritual in me that makes me realize that this is more than simply a bunch of light being affected by the atmosphere and curvature of the earth. It means more than that. I know it does, and I find it hard to suppress that. It's the same part of me that knows that a fetus is a baby. It's the same part of me that knows that marriage is not just about companionship and copulation. It's also about complementarity and creativity in the cosmos and, and, and community and commitment. God, Ecclesiastes says, God has put eternity in the hearts of men and women. We know that there is more to ourselves than simply matter. And so anybody who wants to deny that uh, of, our, our, of our sexuality is running uphill. Even if our leaders and Hollywood and the media and many other people besides are running uphill with them, they're still running uphill. One day, 
heaven and earth will be united and every nation and generation, almost all of whom already know this, by the way, all of them will see that complementarity, pairs that fit each other, have been written into creation from the beginning. Heaven and earth, they were made for each other. This is about that. And they all, one day, live happily ever after. And until that day, we have the joy of pointing people as single people and married to the true reality of which marriage is just a shadow. We have the joy of pointing people forward to this reality. This is how John describes it in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride is dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with mankind. He will dwell with them, and they'll be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's the future of creation. This, male and female, is about that. One day, and one day we will all see the union of heaven and earth. And all live happily ever after. Amen. As we uh, prepare to come to the table this morning, I just want to take a moment to remind you that what the gospel does is it holds up the very hope that we need if we have failed to live up to this biblical picture of sexuality. And I, I of course, I won't... Sh- uh, I won't ask for a show of hand, but I, I, I suspect that many of us are like me, that we have not lived up to the biblical pattern in what we have thought, done, and said. And we have all done things that we would willingly take back if we could. And we've got things that we might actually not take back, but we know that perhaps we should. And, 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 and we have seen the biblical standard, and we hear this message, and we think, but I don't live up to that. And you know what? The accuser at this point would like you to believe that there is a separation between the faithful people around you and you and a few others who have to go over here because you've done what you've done is awful or, and disgusting and therefore you're not allowed to join in worship and you're certainly not allowed to approach God with the rest of us. What the gospel says, what, what the marriage picture of the gospel says is that that's not what Jesus does at all, but that Jesus looks at you, his bride, and he says, she has been unfaithful. She has been dirty. She has been broken. I love her so much that I'm going to die for her anyway and present her pure and spotless to myself so that nobody can bring any accusation against her forever. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that whether she has remained pure or not. I don't care. I'm going to love her to the end till death us do part, for better, for worse. And because Jesus is like that, every single one of us who trusts in Christ this morning, we're going to be wearing white at our wedding. 
when all of creation stands and applauds as they see the church walking up the aisle, to, uh, the aisle towards Jesus to be united with him forever. And that's the gospel that, 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 that a marriage and biblical sexuality preaches to us. So this morning, if you find some of this hard, what we've been talking about, if you wrestle with this stuff and say, my life doesn't look like that at all, remember, even when our lives do not look like this, we can trust that our heavenly husband has died for us and, and made us pure, holy, spotless, without shame, free. When Satan tempts me to despair, and he does, and tells me of the guilt within, Upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my soul, sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Friends, biblical sexuality matters. And it can be really costly. It can for many of us here. It's especially costly for those of you who are single. It's especially costly for those of us whose marriages are in difficulty or whose marriages have been in such difficulty that they have collapsed. It's especially difficult for those of us who are attracted to people of the same sex as we are. It's costly. It can be unpopular and difficult and costly for, for many of us who, who, who don't have any of those challenges but nevertheless find that, we're, uh, that, that, that living out something that's this countercultural in this society is hard and sometimes you, you wish you could just go, ah, just, just give up. I just wish I could believe what everyone else believes about this. It would be so much easier. It will make you sound backward and bigoted to a lot of people who, who you want to like you. I mean, it may mean that you don't get the promotions that you wanted. Some of us don't get the jobs we wanted. It can be difficult to live this out. I understand. And it can be, and, 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 and it, listen, it can't be achieved under the law. It can only be achieved as we receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in his spirit to help empower us. We can't do it without him. But it still matters. Because it reflects creation and the very gospel that gives us hope when we fail. Which is that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, for her that he might cleanse her, sanctifying her with the washing of water by the word. So he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot, wrinkle, or any blemish. My confidence today as I come to this table, the confidence that I have, which I have, and yours, which you have, is not based on our moral purity or our sexual purity or excellence. It's based on the moral purity and excellence of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray before we come to the table. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of the Lord Jesus. We thank you so much that 